give up. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. You have no idea. I don't care if you feel you are stuck in a prison right here and right now. He has got plans. He's got ways. He's got methods. You have no idea. And if we're tempted to walk away, we miss out on all the glory of it, man. And I'm just, uh, I'm just, oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking so much. I, I could just make a testimony Sunday. So let's go, let's go to Matthew chapter 5 and let's just pray. Let's pray for God's uh, blessing to illuminate us and, and just show himself brightly amongst us. Lord, transform us. Father God, is, I'm, I'm grateful to be part of this family. Lord God, you found us in all these different corners in these areas. You know, your ways, you're just, your ways are beyond us, man. I just, and you know what, man? Lord God, when we praise you, when we sing you, there's a unity I feel in the room there's a camaraderie. It's almost like we're in battle together, but there's absolutely no fear. There's no fear. I feel nothing but, man, I feel joy, the joy of being in your presence. I feel welcomed. I feel welcomed for you. I feel like, you know how, Lord God, you don't just accept. You're like, okay, you can praise me. No, no, no. You, you, you relish it. You beckon me. You're like, let's communicate. Let's commune right here. And, and I just somehow, by praising you with all my brothers and sisters, I feel like, man, you transform our hearts. So I pray that you continue to do it, Lord. I don't want to keep going on because I could. And I just want to ask you, Lord, to continue the transformation. We got another 35 to 45 minutes here, Lord God. You can do infinite things in that amount of time. You created the universe with tiny words. Let there be light. Lord, you could do anything. And we want to see your glory. We want to be transformed by your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Beatitudes starts. Remember, we're going to just keep walking through them. As Jesus saw the crowds in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Matthew, it says, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside. He sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he continues on and he says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. That's what we talked about last week. This is the week where he said this. Well, it wasn't the week. It was an instant of time, like a few minutes. And he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's where we're going to stop. Um, when I thought I, I was just thinking about there's there was so much to say about righteousness. I was like, I don't want us to get caught up in the forest and miss the big picture. You know what I mean? Because I could tell you, I could make an infinite list of what righteous living looks like, but that's clearly not what he's saying to us right here. It's clearly not what he's saying to us. He's talking about hunger and thirst as our righteousness. There's a hunger and thirst that happens within us as righteousness. One of the things that I thought about in the Beatitudes is these are beautified attitudes. If you think about those two words, beautiful or beauti yeah, beauteous and attitude, somehow he combined them together to be attitudes, these beauteous attitudes. The way I saw it in my mind, and, and there's a book that kind of, kind of gave it to me that I had read a long time ago, but God uses all things that are inspired by him to kind of build us up. He talks about roots, shoots, and fruit. So the Beatitudes are about roots. This is when... We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, right? And he indwells us. He, he roots himself in our heart. I know that that sounds like an illustration, 
but it's absolutely true. He literally comes to abide in the human heart. That's the difference between the religious and those who are saved. And when this happens, he creates for us this one shoot that builds, kind of branches off into these other directions. And it starts with this poorness of spirit. We talked about that. I'm not going to go back over it. Then on the one side, because of this poorness of spirit, being in his presence, this commune, this communication, this intimacy that we're having with him, it creates a mourning deep within my heart because I realize, man, there's so much that separates us. There's so much that's been done. There's so many things that need to be overcome. But yet still, uh, we don't give up. Somehow we just kind of deal with this where we kind of give him this mourning, this mourning of our spirit. We just kind of put it in his lap and we leave it there. And then on the other side, he talks about meekness. This is where he gets us to the place to where we throw up our hands and we say, okay, God, put the bridle on us and you do in us what you would have us to do. And from this comes the shoot. And the shoot is simply this. It's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We are moving. As I saw it this week and thinking about it, I was thinking that God, as a master planter, puts his best seed into the soil of our heart and moves us from one season into the next of growth. God is very orderly. Once again, anyone who's had children realizes you cannot treat a two-year-old child like he is a 20-year-old child. You just simply cannot do it. They cannot comprehend it. They cannot do the same thing. So you literally have to treat your children at the age that they are at. You kind of got to raise them up as you go along. And that's exactly what God is doing with us. Christ... Jesus is the righteousness of God that has been planted in our hearts through rebirth. That can not be taken. That is our first and our foremost conviction. I don't care if you've had a great week or you have had the worst week that you can remember in a long time. If you are truly saved, if Jesus Christ has saved you, picked you, called you, called you his child, you are his elect. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Nothing and no one can snatch you from his hands. I can show you scripture after scripture after scripture where it tells me that. He says, anyone who comes to me, I will never turn away. No one can snatch them out of my hands because my father has grabbed them. and He is stronger than all. He says this. So we have to remember this. And this causes within us these desires. And as I thought about these desires, the first thing that the righteousness of Christ causes within my heart, I know done this before but i want to talk about it again because i saw a big picture this week i saw a big picture sometimes we're tempted as christians to make our relationship with him really personal but it really doesn't go beyond that personal area and you think to yourself that's kind of cool it sounds very romantic you know what i mean me and jesus kind of walking along it's not the righteousness that christ wants i'm just telling you right now that is not the purpose of salvation Jesus being planted in our hearts through rebirth causes our hearts to desire character change. Character change. Has anyone ever really put themselves, put any effort into character change? It might possibly be the hardest thing that could ever you can ever do. And you know, you realize that even if you're going through any kind of a method or any kind of a study or anything like that, when you get to the end, <laughs> you realize... Maybe you just scratch the surface and you kind of need to go back to the very beginning and kind of do it all over again. And it's almost like you kind of have to continually go over the steps over and over and over because God keeps taking us deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. 
So this is what he does. He, he, he plants his righteousness into our heart, and this then causes us to want and desire character change. Character change is a very hard thing. Why? I thought about why is character change so difficult for us to do. Three reasons that I could come up with. One is that it's anchored to our desires. I'm going to explain how in a minute. It's anchored to our past experiences, and it's anchored to our human nature. So let's look at those three things. Let's look at our human nature. We are frail. The Bible tells us clearly that even though we want to see ourselves as castles, we are tents. You ever live in a tent for any period of time? Well, I I have. I mean, I love camping. I love camping. My wife hates camping. but, But I love to camp. And you know what? Can I tell you something? It's cool for three nights. It's real cool if it's kind of breezy and cool. It's really bad if it rains, right? Or if it gets windy because you start to feel like, man, you know, there's this thin veil between me and the elements. God lets us clearly know many times in many areas, you live in the tent of your fail fresh. So as you feel this urge to have God change your character, you're going to come face to face with the reality of your human frailty. One thing I know about human frailty is there are a million different urges within each and every one of us to escape difficulties and unpleasantness. Everyone has difficulties and unpleasantness. I don't care how good your life is. I don't care if you've got millions of dollars or you're the poorest person who's ever walked on the earth. Everyone has difficulties. And what I know about every living being is no one likes that pain. So you know what our human frailty causes us to want to do? Run. It causes us to want to duck, maneuver, swindle, get out any way we possibly can from these things. And repetitive, what I've learned is repetitive escape builds within me patterns of character. I'm 56 years old, going to be 57 in a couple months. That means I, for 57 years, have been building character in my life. And so have you. I know you're not as old as I am, but... You're you're building character. So the second thing is our experiences. Our experiences are very tied to our character because they produce many strong roots and strongholds of flaws. Let me give you two examples. Like I've seen this a lot. If you've ever been abandoned where someone who was core in your life, a father, a mother, an uncle, an aunt, somebody who was close to you, abandoned you, a character that could be and most times is built is this, where you resist intimacy. You just will not let people get close to you. You won't say it, but it's the truth. You will feel this urge to keep people just a little bit of distance away. You know why? Because in the back of your mind, you always remember that abandonment. And you know what? You're like, I don't want to feel that pain ever again. So you know what I'm going to do with you? keep you 10 feet away from me. So I like you, we'll have a relationship, but you're never really going to hurt me at my core level. I've learned that people who have been abused can become defensive or offensive. If I have felt abuse in any way, I find myself to be very serious about boundaries. And you know, as I look at Jesus Christ, as I see his life, he had the right of order than anyone else to have serious boundaries when we were dealing with them. But you know what I see about Jesus? He was willing to take hits. As he walked on the earth, 
It's not like people patted him on the back and told him everywhere he went, man, we're so glad you're here. We've been waiting for you to come for a long time. As a matter of fact, what I see is people were excited to see him until he said something they didn't like, until he shed light on things that they didn't want to see. And then they were like, well, listen, I got to go back to my life. Or worse yet, they were like, crucify him. Kill this guy because I can't stand to hear what he's got to say. See, Jesus allowed himself to be abused. You know why he did that more than anything else? The biggest reason was because he was absolutely intertwined in the love of his father. That means when you and I or anyone else who has ever lived refuses to give him that love, it doesn't crush him. You know, for me, one of my major triggers is when I feel someone has rejected me. Is that true for anybody else in this building? You know, man, I'll tell you, it'll do crazy things inside of me. It may cause me to really trip over myself to somehow get to earn your love somehow. It's a real weird thing. It has caused me many times, like, the worst thing in the world when I was growing up is if I was attracted to a girl and she did not find me attractive. Man, I'm telling you, it was really tied to my worth, and I'd make myself look like an idiot trying to get this person to like me. But I've also learned this, that it could also do this thing inside of me when I feel rejected by you, to say, well, if you reject me, I'll reject you twice as hard. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So you see how our character is tied to these things, our past experience, but it's also tied to our desires. Every single one of us, we've got broken desires just as well as good desires. And I know this, that my desires in me can grow anger, they can grow lust, and lust isn't always about sex. Lust can be about stuff. It's really, at its root, it's about what we consider to be ultimate things. These things that we need to have, because I'm absolutely certain if I have these things, then my life's going to be good. And God says, no, I'm the only thing you need like that. I'm the source of all those other things. And if I give you these other things and they become ultimate things, what I will do is I will take those things from you. That's what he says. So my desires can grow in me. Anger, lust, discontentment, jealousy, envy, and cynicism. What I fix my eyes on, what I set my heart on, matters because it is tied to my character. So remember... As soon as Christ is, let's follow that path. As Christ is planted into our hearts, the first thing that he goes after is our character. He wants to refine our character. When we think of reformation, it's kind of a hard word. What we really think about is prison, right? At least that's what I think. You know, they're going to reform you. But it's about refining, beautifying. You know, one of the things that we think about grace, I, I love to define words that are in the Bible. So I go for long distances to figure out what the, what the Latin terminology is and the Greek terminology so I could get a good grasp. And I think to myself, the, the thing that I learned about grace was this, unmerited favor at God's expense. And I was like, wow, that's really great. But there's another aspect of grace that talks about beauty. When you say someone is graceful, that means they can kind of move around effortlessly like, uh, you know, like, I don't know if you guys remember this guy, Fred Astaire. He was like this great dancer. My mom used to love to watch him dance. Man, this guy looked like he could float on the, uh, on the, the dance floor. That's the way that Jesus, that's the way that God works in the life of his elect. He dances around them in such a way. He works and maneuvers in them in such a way that he brings out beauty. It's almost like this, you know, one of the best ways to look good on a dance floor if you're not a good dancer 
is to get someone to dance with you that's a good dancer. So they could kind of dance around you and like, man, you guys look great. No, 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 she looked great. I just kind of looked like a post. That's the way it is in salvation. Does that make sense? Jesus is dancing around us. He's doing things in us and around us. And somehow his work makes us look beautiful. When Christ is truly planted in the depth of my heart, my character gets reformed, it gets refined, and it gets beautified. Beautiful character. Then it starts to affect my home. Why my home first? Serious. Here's a real simple answer. We don't got to make this spiritual because that's where I spend my most time. Your kids won't care if you go to church on Sunday if you don't bring Christ back into your house when you leave this building. If you're not serious about being exposed and saying, you know what, I didn't do that one great. I got to apologize. I got to make amends. I got to try a little bit different to do things differently. You know, if you're serious about following Christ, you've got to bring him wherever you're at. One of the things I realize is this, is that the first person that is affected by this is the husband in a home, a, a godly home, because the husband now begins to lead through sacrifice and service. When Jesus says, listen, as you as husbands are you're to love Christ like I love the church, he's saying, I don't want you to, to be a tyrant or someone who stands up on a pedestal and points and says, you, go, do. It's how can I serve you? Now, when there's beauty in my character, in me, if I say I've got Christ planted in my heart, the first thing that starts to come very clear to me is, how can I love my wife better? You know, being in ministry, working a full-time job, now I've got two, two places. You know who gets neglected in my house more than anybody else? My wife. And I used to think, she don't care. She's got her kids. No, that's not true. She feels lonely. And because she doesn't complain as often as I do, I just figure she's okay. Well, this weekend, I'm like, what's your beef? You know, what's the deal with you? You look like you lost your dog. And she's like, you're never here. And when you are here, you're not here. And I was like, oh, man. So I thought to myself, I now have to lead through sacrifice. I have to lead through service. I have to be interested in being what she needs me to be. That is how I allow Christ to develop righteousness in my life. No longer will the husband who has Christ in their heart lead through intimidation or demand. You know why? Because intimidation and demand is an easy method to get what you want. There's a million ways to do it. But no, the heart that has Christ planted in it now wants to give. It wants to influence, not to receive, so that God can bring about everything he wants to do in her life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, wait, women, you're going to get yours now. The beautiful character, the beautiful character in a woman's heart who's married causes the wives to submit See, you got it way worse than we do. Submit to the husband and to the children and to the family needs, not like a martyr or an angry maid or a record keeper accounting all the ways that they've felt cheated or overlooked. Jesus, in, that, in Ephesians chapter 6, it's almost like he's like, I can see so vividly. It's like he talks to the husbands, right? And then he goes, ladies, look at me. Look at me, come close to me. You know how like someone, someone's getting close, they want to come close to you? And he's like, 
out of honor for me, out of deference for me, out of our love for each other, I want you to submit to him. And you're like, come on, Lord, I'll give you anything else, not that one. This guy is a dope. Right? Am I kidding? Or am I telling the truth? It's the truth. But Jesus is like, I don't want you to think about that. What I want you to do is I want you to think about us. I want you to think about submitting to your husband, to your children, to the family's needs, because that's what I want out of you. That's how I will beautify your life. Okay? This then causes harmony in my home. When there's harmony in my home, each musician plays their part the instrument that they've been given according to the master's direction. That's every human being. We've all been given a role to play. The problem happens when I steal the instrument that I've received from God and decide to play my own tune. Have you come into a building where there's 35 musicians and everyone's playing to their own tune? Does that sound good? No, you want to close the doors and never come back in? That's the world we live in. Jesus is bringing order out of chaos. Order out of chaos. That's the whole point of salvation. See, we think of salvation in this real microscopic little area where it's just me and him and it's about me going to heaven and walking on these streets of gold and seeing my aunt and uncle in heaven, my dog Sandy, and it's about changing lives. But not just for today, the people I love, for generations to come, maybe God uses you to affect the life of someone who then he uses to affect the life of someone who affects the life of someone to affects the life of someone. Now you're talking 50, 100 years of effect and transformation by one single seed. You see? You see it? It's glorious. It's glorious. Literally, it's breaking the chains of the bondage of small thinking. I hope, I hope, I, I hope I'm making sense. <laughs> Let's go, listen to this. The producers, these, this production in our homes become wells of clean water. They produce producers in society. We live in a world of demanders and takers. I, I demand, I deserve, I this, I went, what about me, this and that. Listen, Jesus is real clear. You really want? Be a real good giver. Don't look for her to give you what you need. Look for me to give you what you need. Because when I give you what you need, you'll give her what she needs, and I'll give what you need. And you know what? Maybe I'll even use her to do it. See, it's like a giant symphony. It really, truly is like a giant symphony. And it's all about trust. It's all about trust. These homes are producers. Uh, they're like well, wells of clean water. They produce producers in society. These people that grow up and live in these homes benefit their schools. They benefit their jobs. Listen, man, I, I'm sorry. I got to tell you. He told us a story about his school, Hugo, I'm sorry, about how he's dealing with this kid with autism. And, man, it made me want to cry. I was so deeply touched. This kid is so violent because he can't connect. He's trapped in his mind. He's got this mental break, and he can't get over it. And every teacher who's ever had him wants him out. Deal, take him. I can't deal with him. I can't do it. And what does this guy do? Because of the righteousness planted in Christ, he takes the hits. The kid will swing. And what does he do? Instead of backing away, he gets closer. 
And he takes the hit so it doesn't hurt either person. And what does he do? And he loves the kid and hugs the kid. And at the end of it, the kid who has autism hugs him by doing one of these. Do you understand the miracle involved in that one little life? Autism kids don't touch anyone. But this kid knew the love of Christ because of the righteousness planted in his heart. Is it his righteousness? No, he's a recipient as well. His life is ornamented. It is beautified because Christ now lives within him. In him. From Christ, Christ being planted in my life to refining of character, to harmony in homes, it then spreads out like a ripple on a lake and it brings about order in a society, in a city. What we live is a world. We're seeing it firsthand, folks. You got the front row seat. You're seeing the demise of ordered civilization right before your eyes. But don't fret. Don't long for the days of past. That's a fool's game. Wait till what God's going to do in the future. God uses the worst circumstances. He uses the worst leaders and politicians, the most corrupted kings, to bring about the greatest Acts of miraculous work ever to be known. You know why? Because God loves to show you have no power over what I want to do. I don't care how strong you think you are. I don't care how smart you think you are. I put you where you are so I could use all of your rebellion and corruption to glorify me. And you know what? That's another form of righteousness that then starts to work in my life because I don't want to run away now. I'm not tempted to look up to heaven and go, you've forgotten all about us. Where are you at? No, no, no. Even if I can't see, even if I can't hear, even if I can't discern it with my eyes, I know he's at work. He's at work. So you know what? This righteousness that's in my heart causes me to praise him even in the most difficult circumstances that I could be in. You know why? Because nothing changes who he is. Nothing changes who he is. I want to continue on. It's all works with Christ in us, then through us, then to others by using us. Jesus establishes his righteous kingdom in the hearts of his children, and it spreads out like ripples on a lake from there. Jesus is working to get us to be who we were intended to be. And who were you intended to be? You were intended to be a child of God that looks like your father. So that when people see you go, I know who you are because I've seen your father. You're obviously his kid. We're to be reflections of his beauty, of his glory, of his love, of his mercy. And here's my favorite aspect of his character, his long-suffering. You know what? Let me tell you something. If I'm not willing to long-suffer to love you, don't believe when I say I love you. You know why? You're messed up, and so am I. And you know what? If I really love you, just like you, though, I'm going to take the hits. I'm not just going to love you when everything's done. The dishes are there. The food was good and not perfect. I'm going to cook. I want to love you when you're, when you're sick. I want to love you when the house is messy. I want to love my kids, even though it drives you crazy when they're going crazy. 
You know what I mean? Man, I'm telling you, there's a righteousness that Christ brings about that is different than any righteousness that we could produce in ourselves. Now I think, as we said all these things, we're getting close to the heart of what righteousness really thought. But then I thought to myself, well, it's really important for me also to recognize that there was a righteousness that Jesus had that he didn't like. Now, you've all read the Gospels, right? Were there people that he had a constant beef with in the Bible? Who were they? They were the religious. They were the Pharisees. They were the scribes. They were the talented. They were the gifted. They were the learned. They had it all together. They looked great on the outside, but something was missing. There was a disconnect from the outside to the inside. And Jesus was like, you have a righteousness, but it ain't about me, man. It's not from me. I don't know what it is, but it causes tension. And I thought about that. The Pharisees had a flawless outward appearance, but they refused to acknowledge their inner flaws, and they refused to acknowledge their inner brokenness. You know what Jesus called them? Whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but your inside is full of dead bones. You know what righteousness does? You know what Charles Spurgeon said? He said, the closer I get to the holiness of God, doesn't make me more separated from the people around me. It makes my nose more acute and aware of my own stench. You know, it's hard for me to blame you for things you do wrong when I can't help, as I'm in God's presence, to see where I fall short. You see what I mean? Now, my judgment against you becomes really a desire for God to work in you because if he's working in you, I believe then he's going to be working in me. Now you get mercy from me, not judgment. You see, this is what works. This is the righteousness that he wants. See, the Pharisees had a legalistic righteousness, but I realized that it was really just an attempt to validate and affirm themselves. One of the things that I understand about the human nature, and I don't understand at all, but we have the ability to take even good things in our flesh and twist it. Paul says, why do I do the things that I do not want to do? Even good things, when I get them in my hand, apart from grace, I'll mess it up. He's like, and then he looks at himself fully aware in the light of Jesus Christ, in the full mirror, and he looks at himself, and he's like, man, I'm doomed. Who's, how on earth could I ever be saved? And then Jesus enters in. God the Father reminds him, I didn't save you because of you. I saved you because of me. I saved you through the righteousness of Christ. And then he said, oh, praise be to God. I am saved by Jesus Christ. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that so that I can keep going right back into the same patterns before? No. That's for me to see the glory of God, the righteousness of Christ, and have him beautify my character. For me to strive and stretch and try and urge, urge myself forward. That's righteousness. That's the righteousness that God is giving to us in Jesus Christ. Okay, there's two words that Jesus uses for us to understand salvific righteousness more than any other, and they are simply this, hunger and thirst. When I hunger and when I thirst, that means I have acute awareness of what I need. Anybody ever been thirsty? You know what you need, a hose, quick. You ever feel hungry? You feel lightheaded, you feel nauseated, you feel cranky. You know your stomach is grumbling. It's like you know every 15 minutes, those who are in the presence of God, they start to feel the grumbling 
of man, I want something that only he can give me. When I think Jesus is the only one who could give me what I'm hungry for, trust me when I tell you this, I'll push things out of my way to get to him. And so will you. That's the way he made us. If you're hungry and you know you got food in the fridge, you'll go and do it. Even lazy men will go and make themselves food. You know, that's why we get married, so someone will feed us. David exemplified what it meant to be hungry and thirsty in the 119th Psalm. I want to read it really quick. I think we got a few more minutes. I haven't taken so long yet. He says this in Aleph. He says this, blessed are those whose ways are blameless. Listen to this, whose walk is according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek after him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. You think to yourself, do nothing wrong. Can anyone make that claim? Well, Jesus can, surely, but I can't. So listen to this, it keeps going on. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. He understood as he was reading and he was writing, he understood, he's like, these aren't suggestions. This is for me to obey them. But he also sees this contrast, this contradiction within him. He says this, then I would not be put to shame when I consider your commands. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. I will praise you with an upright heart. I will learn from your righteous laws and I will obey your decrees. So do not utterly forsake me. Now listen, let me give you a brief commentary of what's going on here. When you became the king of Israel, it wasn't about you becoming the top dog. Jesus made a father, Godfather, said, listen, if you're going to be the king over my people, you're going to be a shepherd. That means I'm the king and you're the guy that I work through. Okay? So one of the first things that the king of Israel had to do is they had to write out in their own handwriting the Pentateuch. That means the first five books of the Bible. So before they did anything, the king of Israel had to write down several pages of the Torah. And then he had to describe it with the elders and the priests so that he could understand what he was doing. And as he was writing down the law, and it's not just the Ten Commandments or the 633 laws, it's every word. When, when the Jews talked about the law of God, it was every word that came forth from his mouth. He was looking at it, and he was like overwhelmed, man. He was overwhelmed. And his mind was blown, and he's like, wow. Blessed are the ways of the man who conforms to this. Man, their ways are blameless. They're like strong trees in winds, hurricane winds. Their lives are blessed and ornamented and beautiful. He felt a deep longing for the beauty that God's lordship brings upon his life as he's reading and as he's writing because he said, blessed are those whose ways are blameless. But this is where it changes. He also felt the sting of conviction because he says this, Oh, that my ways were steadfast. So as he reads the law of God, he's being impressed upon, being convicted by God's presence. He's like, man, I fall short. And he was overwhelmed by this. And you know what his prayer was? Fix me. Fix me, God. I can see my eyes are open. When you're leading, when you're telling me to go in this direction, when you're the Lord of my life, my life is good. It's beautiful. It means something. It produces something. It is purpose. It is value. It is significance. But Lord God, if it's up to me, oh man, I'll follow you today, but by noon I can't guarantee anything. 
See, if it's up to me, Lord, if, if, if all your words come to me and you're like, here, I'm going to give you this list of do's and don'ts, and then you better do it, by 5 o'clock, I'm condemned. See, it could have been a great day starting out, but the reality is, is my flesh, my flesh is very, very weak. And David understood it. So he hungered and thirsted for the righteousness that Christ could bring. He desired it. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16. If any man desireth after me, he must deny himself. He was speaking to the religious. He was like, you have no need for me if you're okay with you. You get it? If you're cool with what you could bring and produce in your life, Jesus offers you nothing. You will wear him around your neck like a chain that's going to wear you down. All this burden, all this burden. Because Jesus is here to take. He's here to take all these things from us so that it's just him, him being reflected through us. If I'm pretty sure of myself, if I'm full of myself, then I have no need of him. We, so listen, so he hungered and thirsted for uh, the nearness of God. What did he hunger for? He hungered for Christ's nearness. He hungered for Christ's covering. He hungered for the righteousness that he could give him. Do you know what, what we, if you really want to live a life of righteousness, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place with my mind. Sorry, 20 minutes. So listen, you really want to be righteous? Don't focus on the do's, focus on the who's. Focus on being with him. Focus on spending as much time, taking breaks in the middle of your work, whatever you're doing through your day, and literally just sit there and say, you know, Lord, it's been about an hour. I really just need to sit with you. Remind me who you are. Remind me how much you love me. Remind me how much you love that person over there that I don't love. Remind me how good you are. Remind me how faithful you are. Remind me how trustworthy you are. Lord God, impress upon me. Impress upon me who I was made to be. You want to do that? Now you're starting to pursue righteousness. See, can I tell you something? Righteousness isn't about this. Oh, 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 Lord God, I'm so grateful to be here. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee stood and he goes, thank you, God, for not making me like that guy. Thank you, Lord God, that from the time I was a baby, you put me in the right house. I listen to your words. I read it, Lord God. Thank you so much for all the great work in your life, in my life. Sounds like a good prayer, right? But what did Jesus say? The other guy was literally sitting in the corner like this. He's like, I don't have any reason for you to do anything, but I'd really like for you to just take the gift that I brought you today. You hear that? The guy over here that was the sinner, the tax collector, all he wanted was for God to receive this puny gift that he brought him. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that man was justified before that man. See, that guy was full of everything he did and what he could do. That guy, he hungered. He thirsted. Amen? All right, let's keep moving forward. He got a few more things. All right. The love of God will build strong roots that compel his children for a desire of self-denial. My family's better when I deny myself. 
I want my wife to meet my needs. But you know what I've realized about myself? It's an impossible task. Many men, they leave their families because their wives are not meeting their needs, but they never for a minute think, is it possible that my desires really can't be met here on earth? I remember I met with Hulu and I was talking about, this was a long time ago, and I said, I just want my marriage to be like it was when we first started dating. Man, my wife was excited to see me, man. She, I could feel her enthusiasm and attraction for me. And that attraction was like, it was like a big cologne for me, man. It made me feel great. Man, it was so passionate, romantic. And I go, I just want it to be like that all the time. And Hugo, just the way that he could do it, smiled at me just like Hugo smile. <laughs> and he goes, brother, you know that's a fantasy, right? And I'm like, yes, Hugo, I know it's a fantasy. My life is better when God produces in me a desire to deny myself. Sometimes it can be as simple as keeping my mouth shut when I want to speak. You know what? Sometimes I can be so full of myself, I can tell you exactly what you need to do. But maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. And even if I am right, do I have any power to help you to do it? You know what God would want me to do in righteousness? Listen and then go to him in prayer and say, God, I might be right, I might be wrong. Lord God, I pray that you would do your will in their life. You would do the, your work in their life. Am, am I making sense? Okay, okay, okay. All right. One of the first fruits in self-denial is this, a resistance toward cheap methods of pseudo-satisfaction. We love pseudo-satisfaction. You know why? Because it's like McDonald's. It's easy to get. We know what we're going to get, and it kind of fills a void, but it never feels good 30 minutes after we eat it. Am I right? Superficial world around us offers us thousands of fast food options that promise us satisfaction and promise us fulfillment, but they leave us with indigestion. Jesus is saying, you want good stuff? You want good? Remember, here, I'll read this. Listen to this. In, in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 55, he says, Come to me, everyone who thirsts. Come to me for water. Come to me, you who have no money. Come to me, buy and eat. How can you buy and eat when you have no money? When you're buying on the righteousness of Christ, the credit of Christ. He's saying, I'm opening up a line of credit for you that has no end of everything that I could give you. Stop going to the competitor. They can't fill you. They're going to give you clogged arteries and kill you. Come to me. You were made for me. But I don't have the money, Lord God. I don't have it. He's like, I don't care. I've made a way. I've made a way. He says this, why do you spend money on that which is not bread and your labor on that which does not satisfy? <laughs> Nobody relationships I got into because I was absolutely certain that was going to be the thing that was going to make my heart full. Every time. Well, surely she's going to fill the gap. And never did it happen. Why? Because I wasn't made for them. I was made for Christ. Christ is like, until you get me, until you get my love, which I'll give you freely, you're never going to even know what their love is. You're never going to find it. You're going to wander about. 
See, he says, come to me, come to me. I'll fill your need. The thousands of food options in this world are academic success, GPA, PhDs, and all these different things that people love to put letters in front of their names. And there's nothing wrong with education. That's great stuff. But when I use those things to bring significance in my life, I can guarantee you this. At the end of the day, they will never give you the satisfaction you think that they're going to give you. Material abundance, all the world around us. Tell me you haven't done that. You feel empty, you feel void, you're stuck in that same job, you're in that job, you've been sitting in your truck for too many hours and you can't see the light of your tunnel, what do you do? You look at that beautiful little phone and you go right to Google. Hmm, I wonder what a new pair of Nikes would look like. You know why? You know why. Because that's going to really fill the void just for a little bit, right? Not feeling good at home? Maybe I need this product or that product. That'll make me feel better. The new car, that promises to fill the void. And you know what I've learned? And you know it too. It don't. It don't. It just gets us in debt. It gets us to the point to where three months later as you're looking at all the stuff that you've amassed, you're thinking to yourself, man, I spent a lot of money on things that I'm throwing out. And you feel real bad about it. Don't I, At least I do. Oh, man, now we're starting to get close to righteousness. For those who have the righteousness of Christ, school is not about GPAs or class rankings or getting A's. It's not about me traveling on the road to get success. You know what school becomes? A place for me to learn. A place for me to figure out, by grace, how to overcome obstacles, to learn skills, to learn how to serve a community. See, I love teachers like this guy. And there's thousands of them out there. We need to pray for our teachers. We need to pray for them. Lord God, please let the administration stay away from people like this. Let them, let them be used by you to influence at street level, at the core level of society. Man, I'm telling you, that's where we start to see salvation really budding. You understand what I'm saying? So schools become about me learning skills and serving in a community money and things no longer are methods to satisfy lingering emptiness and dissatisfaction but my money becomes a conduit to it a conduit for blessing others i realize you know what it's good for me to not buy for me but to provide for others you know how much money causes problems in homes Romance and families are not the vault or the, uh, uh, the bank where, I can, uh, uh, where a person can find profound happiness and joy. These are the places where God uses you to meet the needs of another person, where you live not in order to get, but you are blessed by giving. That's how you receive. You know, there's this guy, Kent Richardson, over there, and he's a human being, so that means he's got flaws like everybody else. But one thing I love about Kent more than anything else Man, he loves when other people are successful in Christ. And it's like, I saw it. I was an elder with him, and I saw it, and I was like, dude, I want that, man. I want that. I, would, I remember I would pray about it. I'm like, I don't know if I got that. I don't think I got it, but I want it. I want it. Let's keep going. We're getting close to the end. Five more minutes. Just stick with me. The fruit of righteousness creates a holy dissatisfaction with a faith that will not and does not affect the broken world around me. The world's message for you is very clear, and listen to it. Keep your faith to yourself. 
It's between you and God. It's personal. Don't bring it out into the public place. The world's message for you, Satan's message for you, is don't allow grace to compel you into action. Go to church. That's cool. But don't let it get you involved. Here's another message for you. You could feel sorry for the brokenness of the world around you. There's much to feel sorry for. But don't get too heavily invested because if you do, it'll get messy. Remember, you have a life to live. I hate when I hear people go, no, I can't do it. I have a life to live. <laughs> what? We have a life to live, and it is now Christ. That means the other stuff's got to go before this stuff goes. Here's another one. The world wants you to limit your exposure to mission. Why? Nothing too messy, nothing too involved. Ne uh, never give what's over the limit. Not too much off the top. You want to keep the prime cuts to yourself. Remember who did that and lost the kingdom? Saul. Saul wanted the prime cuts. God says, I want you to burn all the stuff. And God said, well, God doesn't want me to burn that stuff. It looks too valuable. And after all, we could kind of kill it and have a great barbecue. The people will love me. And what did he do? He took the prime cuts for himself. And God said, see, you want the prime cuts. You don't want me. This is the kind of faith that I think Jesus speaks about in Revelation chapter 2. And I thought about that as we worshiped. And I'm going to stop. I'm, I know I'm not talking so much. But I want to just say this. We want to be a church that really succeeds. We have to strive toward loving one another. I mean, I know that sounds like Hallmark Christianity. It ain't. Because the, the love that I'm talking about is not easy love. It's not like, oh, bless you, brother. I'm blessed and encouraged. Just side hugging. Oh, man, I'm going to see you. No, no, no. That's the one that comes on Thursday. That's the one that comes on Wednesday. That's the one that comes to these different things. That's the one that strives when it comes here to serve and give what's best because they love the people that they're serving. We do that. I'm telling you, we'll be busting at the seams because the world is dying of thirst for real love. And when they get it, just a tiny bit of it, they'll know it. They'll know it. That's the moment of conversion when you taste the love of Christ, when it fills and satisfies this deep need inside of you. This is the kind of, the, he doesn't want a lukewarm faith that makes God nauseated, the kind of faith that never produces its directionless faith. God gives no power to that faith, no influence to that church. There's no power of reproduction for that righteousness. And you know what it eventually does? It dies with that person and that generation. That's a warning, folks. There's warnings in the Bible. Those people were dead saved. He was talking about the church in Laodicea. They were saved. But they were so full of what they had. They didn't feel like they needed to open the doors. They didn't feel like they needed to pursue the broken around them. They were satisfied with what they could get. And God's like, nah. That I will never let reproduce. Let's stand up. We're going to get ready. We're going to take communion together. Listen, we're not going to end in a, uh, in, a, um, in a warning, although it's okay to hear warnings from God. When God warns us, it's not because he's trying to bring us down or beat us up. He's just saying, hey, man, this is a pitfall. This could get you. Don't let it get you. So as we prepare to take communion, I want you to think right now, I want you to think about righteousness. Only you and God know the truth about you. And sometimes we don't even know the truth about us because we don't want to see it. 
So what I'm asking for us right now is for us to take just a moment. I want us to just open ourselves up like this. Look, for God to examine us. I want us to ask him to forgive us for the places that we've fallen short because he promises to do it. He promises to forgive us for our sins, to set us back on the road of righteousness. He said he'll never withhold that from us. Be specific. If there's someone that you need, you need to make things right with, you got to start with confession, but then you got to go to making the amends. And I don't know when that could happen, but you just got to start with the willingness. So just think. Just take it right now. Just think to yourself. And as we take the bread, take it, take it. Let's take that bread in our hands and let's pray together. Jesus, this bread represents your body. Jesus, you didn't love us from far away. You took on the cloak of human flesh, the very flesh that you created. You lived under the weight of a curse. In a cursed world, you felt the discontentment of man. You felt the animosity of man. You walked on streets that hurt your feet, gravity that tugged at your back. You felt the sun that you created beat down on your head and caused you to feel lightheaded at times. You felt what it was to be thirsty. You felt what it was to be alone. You felt what it was to feel betrayed and unwelcomed. Thank you. Lord God, and you did all this for one reason. It wasn't for me. It was for your father. You loved him so much that you wanted to give him what no one else ever gave him that was perfect obedience. And because you gave him perfect obedience, Jesus, the wall, the veil of separation that stood between us and a holy God now has been torn apart. And we, who have been given your righteousness, can live in the light of your glory, your holiness. Lord God, you purchased our salvation with your skin. Lord God, how could we ever repay that? I don't think you're asking us to repay it. That would be an insult. But what we can do is give you praise for it. So Lord, with one heart and one mind, we praise you. Let's take this in Jesus' name. Take that cup. Let's remember that this cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. It is a perfect supernatural detergent. I don't care what your past was. I don't care what your frailties are. It doesn't matter what your inclinations are. I don't care what stains you think you have on your record. The blood of Jesus Christ washes them all and makes them clean.
It's the blood of Jesus Christ that covers the imperfect life of Tom Fitzmaurice and everyone else who calls, who's called sons and daughters of God. And when you see us, Father God, you see us in the righteousness of Christ. You see us not only forgiven, you see us as perfect. Perfect. Because, Jesus, you gave us your perfection. Lord God, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that you loved us to the very last drop of your blood. Oh, God, if I could pursue that, if we could pursue that, if your church could pursue that, I know we're not going to do it like you did it, but if we could just pursue it, even if we just started in our own home, Lord, how, how pleased would you be with that? Lord God, could you help us to do these things as we take this cup and remember your name? In Jesus' name we pray. Let's worship. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my sing this out. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one convince my righteousness. Oh, God, how I sin runs deep your grace is born Her grace is found is where you
Teach my song to rise to you. When temptation comes my way, when I cannot stand, I fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. And when I cannot stand, I fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my Sam doesn't like it, we're going to hold hands. You don't stand out here by yourself. You're with your sisters. Everybody holds. You know what? We're holding each other up because that's what Christ has called us to do. He has called us to be part of the vine. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, Sam, for the direction. What I want you to do is this. I know I said a great many things. Thank you, guys. You are the smartest people on earth. Anyone to follow track with me, you guys got it. Man, my mind, my mind is flying 350 miles an hour. But you know what, though? I want you to do one thing. Preach to yourself this week. Preach to yourself. Every time you remember it, life is not primarily about me. My best life is lived when I give it to Christ. That's when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. So let's pray together. Father God, I am so grateful to be a part of this beautiful tapestry and family. Lord, so many personalities, so many differences. But Lord God, what a beautiful picture you make. And you know what? You're not only the artist. You've painted yourself by using us as your clay. Man, who could do such a thing? You could. And Lord God, I pray that you would encourage us every minute of every day, whatever the hardships are, whatever the difficulties, remind us, remind us, Lord God, that you have an infinite plan, that all we have to do is continue to trust, continue to show up by grace, with grace, in grace. This is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast Lord God, I pray that you would increase our love for one another. Here's a crazy one for you. I pray that you would increase our love for our enemies. Lord, it's easy to love the people we love, sometimes. But the people we don't love, Lord God, we don't want to love them. We want to hate them. Lord God, if you hated us, where would we be? Lord God, please do these things so that you can smile. 
If we could do one thing to make you smile, that would be a great thing. So we pray this all with one voice and one heart. In Jesus' name, all the saints said? Amen. You guys, I love you, man.